Hello, everyone. Hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Thank you very much to those of you who wrote emails to me. Thank you for your kind words. There are about 10 emails to a thousand people who listen to the show. And those who write, thank me or ask me to invite somebody on the show or ask me to invite someone I already had on the show. So far, no criticism. Uh, I do welcome constructive criticism though. If there is something you don't like or some something you would like to change in the format of this show, remember this show is for you. I would be very happy uh, if you write to me uh, your comments and I will address it in the following show. If you would like to give me, uh, to send me your feedback about today's show, you can write to Dr. Peter Resnick at gmail.com. D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. As always, first I want to remind you of what we did during the last week's show. And then also let you know what I intend to do next Tuesday. Uh, last week, we continued our journey through my program, The Six Pillars of Well-Being. Still on the fifth pillar, conscious beliefs and attitudes and character traits. We spoke about arrogance and anger and how to deal with them. Uh, if you are dealing with it or you encounter it. If you're interested in this subject, you can listen to the show uh, on the archives of PRN. Next Tuesday, well, next Tuesday, I actually not going to prepare anything. I will just give it a try. I will have an open floor. That is, if someone wants to share a night dream, for example, uh, they can do it and I will work on the air uh, with their night dream. If someone has an issue they're dealing with or a health question, I will share with them with what I know. So if you, there is something you would like to discuss, you have time to prepare, get ready for the next show. You can make your notes. Some people feel shy and comfortable. Just write it down, call in, and I will be happy to address the issues to the best of my ability. And today, ladies and gentlemen, I have a guest, a guest that you already know, I interviewed him three times and many people asked me to invite him again. He's a teacher, a psychic medium, an energy healer, and the creator of what he calls realized medicine. Uh, Vladimir Angert is with us today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, hi, Vlad. Thank you. Can you hear me? I, but I, uh, Today, I invited Vlad not for an interview. Where in an interview, you know, I ask questions and he has a floor and answers the questions. Today, I would like Vlad and I to have a dialogue about the Ten Commandments. Yeah, the Ten Commandments from the Bible. And you may ask, as, as one of the friends that I shared this idea with said to me, why do you want to talk about this whole Bible thing when you are a health practitioner? Stick to what you know. Uh, 
But I would like us to have this talk about the Ten Commandments precisely because Vlad and I are health practitioners. The Torah, the Hebrew word for what Christians call the Old Testament, literally means instruction. Almost 3,400 3, years ago, uh, we received an instructional manual. And in this instructional manual, in the Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, it is written, if you heed my commandments and obey my statutes and do what is right in my eyes, I will not send upon you the diseases that I send upon the Egyptians, for I am your God that is your healer. Literally, the last word, healer, or rofecha. Rofecha means healer, doctor. So, and when I say this, right from the start, I realized that I stepped into a little bit dangerous grounds. That is, at least on my part, my whole talk can implode because some of you may say, wait a minute, does it mean that adherence to the commandments guarantees your health? And we know so many people, and I know so many great masters who got ill, who died from serious illnesses. Does it mean that they violated the commandments? Of course, I wouldn't dare to say that. In order to address this subject, um, we will have to have much broader discussion of the commandments. I am well aware that there are uh, uh, 5,888 verses in the Torah, and they have been discussed in great details. In fact, there are many, way more than 5,888 books written on every verse of the Torah over, over the, all these years. So with the great trepidation, uh, I dare to speak on the subject of the commandments because we, Vlad and I will attempt to speak about the commandments as applied to our everyday life in a broad sense. I have no idea where this dialogue will take us. Uh, even though the, Vlad and I talk quite often, uh, I don't believe they'll until just a couple of weeks ago when we decided to have this uh, dialogue. I don't believe we actually had the discussion. Do you, Vlad, do you, do you remember us talking about the commandments before? On and off, we, we touched on a couple of them. Did, um, whose idea was, was it your idea or my idea to have this talk uh, on the show? I don't remember. We both had uh, touched on something uh -huh. on our views and we said, why don't we do it on, on your show? Okay, so uh, as I said, I, I do not know what Vlad knows, uh, and in my experience, uh, that's why I thought we were, we were a good match. We have very different approaches to look at most issues. Uh, I, I approach it more kind of in a scholarly way. I read, in my experience, Vlad just comes and, and it flows through him. He speaks through intuition, through his, I don't know, psychic or, or intuition abilities. 
but um, so you will get kind of um, take from from both sides. So let, um, but also I want to say that the, there are ten commandments, and there are commentaries, and ten commandments expanded. That is the ten commandments that we know. Uh, the, the, the two tablets, right? They are very super short. For example, the first commandment says, Anochi Hashem, this is it. I'm your God. There is no, I'm your God who take, took you out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage. That's already in the, in the Torah, in the written text. But the commandments, it's interesting because when, when the uh, Exodus Chapter 20 says this, I am your God who took you out of the land of Egypt, of the house of bondage. That's obviously God takes people, Hebrew people. But the first commandment on the tablets says simply, I am your God. That is to everyone. So every commandment is on, on the tablets, on two tablets, is very short. Uh, the Tenth Commandment, Lo Tachmud. This is it. That's all that is written. Lo Tachmud. No coveting. But we know it. You you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's property, your neighbor's uh, donkey, and so on and so on. That's an expanded concept. But the, the commandment itself, don't covet. So we'll talk about each commandment in, as I said, in the broad sense, uh, I'm taking all this time to talk, talk because, uh, you know, I am starting. But but once I give uh, Vlad uh, the floor, he will talk probably about the same subjects, but in his own way. So before we go into the commandments, Vlad, do you want to have a little introduction? I have a disclaimer for the audience. Okay. This is not a Jewish program. It's uh, for humanity. And uh, I wasn't raised, you know, I, I, I grew up in the Soviet Union and left when I was 10 years old. I was raised in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, and then went to a military academy. So I didn't have a religious life or religious upbringing or even an observant upbringing. We weren't even reformed Jews. My father stuck me twenty dollars when, when Hanukkah came around. So this is your this is your gift. So uh, this it was I never I hadn't explored the details and the and the particulars of of the texture of, of the commandments for Torah until I uh, read Jerry Epstein's book Healing into Immortality. And then it's what sparked my interest in possibilities and what it means. And then my views developed as a result of my abilities. So you'd say, well, what does one have to do? You mentioned before, you know, people asked, said to you, someone said to you, uh, why don't you just do what you know? It's, it's laughable to me because everything about the technology of Torah or the, what the Christian world calls the Old Testament is about healing. Every little nuance, every story, every letter, every sentence, 
I didn't discover it because I learned it because I learned it with some, you know, practitioner or a scholarly man. I discovered it by discovering it, by learning piece by piece and understanding that it's really intended to heal us emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically. You know, I won't get into, I don't want to go into depth, but that's my disclaimer. I, I'm not a rabbi. I'm not, I don't have an agenda. We don't convert anyone. Uh, that's not our style. We discourage conversion for those of you that don't know the audience, uh, because it's very hard to be amongst a nation, part of a nation that everyone wants to destroy for 5,700 years. So uh, the point isn't to convert anyone or to insinuate that ours is better than yours, but it's to give you a broader view of reality and understanding of the healing qualities of what you thought you knew. So let, let's start with the first commandment. As I said, Anochi Hashem, I am your God. So how do we, Vlad and I, understand this statement or, or commandment? I am your God. Uh, my, my understanding is that there is one primary force. There is one primary source. In fact, the Torah begins with the words, Bereshit bara lokim et hashamayim et haravetz. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. So there is a primary uh, creative force that gives life to everything. And we are to recognize that this there is only one source, no other sources. Everything else can be impressions, can be powerful bodies like a sun, like planets, but the, the source of all life is one. And we are discouraged because remember in the written text of the Torah, it's not just I am your God, but you shall have no other gods before me. So why to say you shall have no other gods before me? If there are no other gods, there is no need to talk about it. So which means there is a possibility that we, that which we call God, that, that creative impulse, that consciousness uh, understands that it is possible for us to create other gods. Uh, that may work for some time, but eventually, uh, eventually it's not good for us as individuals and for humanity. I'll give you an example. Uh, reason, we got intellect, thank God. We can think, but God uh, is warning us, don't make intellect or reason your God, because it's possible. For example, one of the very reasonable, logical uh, documents, books, those of you who happened to read it, was Mein Kampf, Hitler's book, My Struggle. It's a very logical document. There are many, many uh, statements he makes there, but uh, one of them is, listen, if there are, let's say, 10 people in, in a group, and, and I'm paraphrasing, 10 people in a group, and uh, nine people are working, 
can work, contribute to community, and one is crippled. And I'm really, it's a very broad extrapolation from his ideas. Uh, and one is crippled. Is that fair? That's totally not logical. Nine people have to work for 10 people because the crippled one cannot provide. So take out this person, kill him or whatever, euthanasia they call it, and then nine work and nine receive. That's a very fair thing. But of course, that's not humane. So that's how a reason, and, and you can think about many other ways, how the reason becomes false God. And then you do human sacrifice. You sacrifice your humanness, your life on the altar of this, of this God. Another, even love can be uh, a false God. I, I remember, maybe some of you heard the name Dennis Prager, really very brilliant guy. Uh, he's uh, actually a philosopher. He's not a rabbi, but he wrote a couple of books, uh, no, actually more than a couple, on Torah. He wrote commentary on Torah, five books. Uh, and no, not he didn't finish of all five. He's in the process of writing. I have two of his books coming to him on the Torah. And he talks about this specific um, trap of making love false God, making love something that governs you and makes you act against God. And he gives this example. He was giving a lecture to many, many people in the group. And he said, look, I'm happy you are all here, but I don't love any of you. I love my wife, I love my children, and I love my dog. And he said, imagine there is a, some kind of a flood, and we have a boat, and only there is a small space for one person. And I love my dog. But if you are in the water, rest assured that even though I love my dog, I will give a place to you because love is not enough. Love is not my God. There, there, there are conscious choices that I'm making and human life, I know, God taught us, human life is more important than an animal's life. It's just an example how lo even love can become your false God. So basically we are uh, taught that there is, as I said, one creative force, one, if anybody can judge a full, uh, uh, have a full perspective on, on our life or anybody else's life is, is God. We are not to be judges. That's another aspect. We must not judge. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Yeshua ben Yosef, or as Greeks called him, uh, Jesus, son of Joseph, uh, says, actually, um, the wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. And so is with everyone born of the Spirit. Meaning the wind, of course, in Hebrew is a ruach, that is the Spirit. We, we know that our consciousness comes from somewhere and is going somewhere. And all we know is this little sliver of life that we observe. Since we don't know where a person is coming from, we don't know where they're going. We must not judge. We don't see the full picture. So becoming a judge of anybody, judging anybody, 
you make yourself into God. Uh, now I want to hear what Vlad has to say. Vlad, the floor is yours. I'll go backwards. I'll start with what you just said. Yes. Um, about judgment. Yes. I don't. I don't believe any of that. God doesn't punish, reward, or destroy, or judge. That's a uh, humanized concept. It's a creative force. All it does is create. So. It, it says, thou shalt not judge, because judgment is thought and perception. So if I perceive you a certain way, the moment I meet you, I am giving life, because the creative force constantly fuels my soul, I'm giving life to my perception, and then you give me proof of what I believe to be true. And that applies to work, conspiring against outcome, conspiring against people, conspiring against religions. I'm constantly receiving based on my judgmental process, which is human, not godly. It says thou shalt not judge for that reason and no other reason. Because if I see your faults and your, and your shortcomings and your understanding and I don't like your shirt, instantly I'm making an observation that fuels energy and because you're an expression of of me you're not a mirror or it's not the law of attraction it's the law of creation so the creative process is constant all it does is create you want to be a banker you can be a successful banker you want to be a bank robber you can be a successful bank robber both can go to prison because everything comes with a price that's not a punishment it's just the reality right so if my perception of you is you're, uh, you know, uh, you're too analytical, you're, you're too well-read, you're too whatever, so then you constantly give me proof of what I believe to be true. That's my judgment. But if I allow myself to be the godly side of me, the energetic side, I don't have a judgment about you. I can only see the best of you. Right. So if I only see the best of you, then my energy, my understanding, my internal belief system gives life to what I believe to be true. Then I see the, the kind person, the loving person, the caring person, uh, one who who's in into helping humanity. I'll tell you how I learned. This. I had an experience with a master soul. I had 30 of them. Now, and uh, she happened to be Miriam. I was healing, treating someone with a with a spinal tumor, and I saw an entity. I my question is always: uh, Have you ever been in the human experience? Who are you, and how can I help people more effectively? She said, "I'm Miriam." I said, "Well, what's Miriam?" She said, "I'm I'm Mary." I said, "Well, you know, I don't subscribe to that." She said, "It doesn't matter." Uh, I said, how did you become who you are? She said, people made me who I am. That's a confirmation to that fact, what, what we're just discussing. People made her who she is because they held her in the highest regard and prayed in her name that in their belief created their experience. She was a simple woman. That is, they provided for... They, of they, course, they provide they direct energy 
through their souls. They direct energy that engages in expanding her existence, whether it's on the other side or on this side. When we hold someone in the highest regard and devoid of our nuance of our conspiracy and the desire to find faults and, and shortcomings in everyone, we give life to that which is real. And that reality then forms itself in the other human being or the soul and confirms to us what we believe to be true. She said, people made me who I am. I, you know, it's a long experience. I don't, I don't want to take up time uh, talking about my experiences, but that's how I got this information. We're, we're not, you know, people are funny. Uh, I'm, I commune, people say, I commune with nature. That's how I receive God. But the tree, the tree is a creation of God, but it can't sustain your soul with energy. The tree didn't create you. You can love it. You can love, you can receive, you can nurture it. You can get nurtured, but you can't receive energy for your soul because there's only one source of all life. That's why the Egyptians were plagued, because they had in their understanding, there were many sources of life. They prayed to a sun god, a moon god, a stone god, a snake god, whatever. It's not, they're not graven images. They're just things that don't, they're not unlimited sources of energy. Astrology is a wonderful science, but it didn't, stars didn't create us. A man didn't create us. It created it. It expressed itself into the human experience, and we are its expression, and our lives are our expression. That means it's the only source of all life. So once you accept the flow, intellectually and emotionally, that's why our, my nation says uh, the Shema, because it's a proclamation. We verbalize the fact that there's nothing else. There's only one source of all life. Would you uh, just clarify what Shema is? Because some people may not know what Shema is. The Shema is a, is a prayer that Jews proclaim three times a day. That the Lord is our God and there's only one God. There's nothing else. Because it, what we call God, I don't want to make this a religious program, but it expressed itself into the human experience, so we are its expression. So what we express, our proclamations, what you proclaim, it says in the Bible, God spoke and the world came to be. Well, we speak all the time. So what we proclaim then becomes so in our understanding. So if I proclaim that there's only one source of all God, then I intellectually and emotionally accept that, and then it becomes my reality. Then that force that sustains everything, including the needle and the hole in the needle, it's in everything. So then that constant proclamation keeps me in that understanding and engages me in receiving a constant flow of energy. When I'm in the flow, then I can see the best of you because it's fueling my soul. My soul envelops my nervous system. It broadens the light of my soul and I can see a brighter reality. I don't see obstacles. I don't see your conspiratory side. I don't see your over-intellectualizing me and, and trying to uh, assess me. All I see is the best of you. I think that's healing, don't you? Yeah, uh, just, just to support what you said, that nobody, nobody judges you. Uh, sometimes people say, well, I will be punished because I did this and this. And my understanding is 
we were giving commandments, we were giving instructions how to live healthy life physically, mentally, emotionally. And imagine, imagine um, somebody was told, walk on this path. It's a nicely paved path. Uh, there, are, there, are, there are beautiful views if you look to the right, to the left, and ahead of you, you there is something where you will get to, and, and it's something good for you. And you're walking in your path, and that's a clear instruction, just stay on the path. And then you, you're walking, and suddenly you see something on the side, off the, off the path. And you say, ah, that's, that's very interesting, but I want to, I want to look at it a, a little more. And let's say it's something that is written in the instructional book. Don't do. And you kind of get off the path and suddenly you are in mud. And you fell down. Your face is all broken. You, you broke your leg. You are, you are filthy. Now you're crawling back to the path and you say, oh, really, God punished me. Nobody punished you. You got off the path. You made an error. In fact, uh, um, there is no word for sin in the Hebrew language. The word, there is a word. Yeah, jumping out of their seats right now, because it's a, it's a thing you have to accept first, that that you have to punish, that God punishes and rewards. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's nonsense. Right. Because if you're in the flow, right, if you accept that you have an actual soul, you have a, an energy body, that that energetic generator that fuels and, and gives life to everything, when you're consumed by your thoughts and you don't accept that there is an actual flow, then you're relegated to another level of reality. The human obstacles, the human psychology, psychologizing, predicting, preventing what ifs and all the nonsense that comes with intellectualizing your reality dragging conditioned thoughts into the future, trying to future talk. It's nonsense. So it's not punishment. You literally, you, here you're in the flow, here you're out of the flow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if, going back to my analogy, walking on the path, you step off the path. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, that's why I call myself a teacher. I'm not a master, I'm not a spiritual teacher because I teach tools that I attempt to, to the best of my ability to practice. And sometimes I forget. Just uh, a week ago, <laughs> I called, Vlad called and said, how are you doing, Peter? And I said, oh, I didn't sleep the night, if, if you remember, Vlad. I didn't sleep well. I was worried about Hannah, my daughter, going to London, a girl, all by herself. And Vlad said, what are you talking about? What do you teach? You're making up stories now. So now, the price I paid, God didn't punish me with insomnia. I got off the track. God says, I'm your God. I'm running the show. Don't worry. Live in the moment. Your daughter is fine. Your daughter is excited to going to London. Enjoy. I started making up a story about the future, negative future, creating, in fact, negative energy. And Vlad kind of rebooked me and said, go back, <laughs> you're making up a story. So that's, so nobody was punishing me. I was creating a story that created anxiety, that created insomnia. 
<laughs> Let's so can I can I elaborate on that a little bit? So I'll make it more energetically acceptable. Because there are a lot of folks in the audience, I'm sure they like they love energetics and kumbaya nonsense. So I'll, I I love I love uh, detailed explanations because look, you can make yourself believe anything. Epstein used to say, ninety percent of what you think isn't true." And at least he said it to me. <laughs> so, so if you think, if you want your child to succeed. Why would you worry and think about things that you don't want for them to happen? If you understand there's a consistent flow and that flow fuels your soul and broadens your intellect and allows you to co-create reality, then why would you imagine something that doesn't exist, has not happened, and you don't know what's going to happen to you in one minute, but you're already inserting yourself in your child's life and insinuating that this may happen to her. If you want your child to be well, then why don't you imagine things that you would like for them to happen or would like to happen for them? People do it in hospitals. You don't want to treat people in hospitals or, or sick folks. Oh, I, I, want to, I want to take my child's place. You don't need to. You don't need to be a martyr once you accept that there is only one source of all life. If you accept that, then you need to do your part and stop creating stories about what you don't want. Also because our thoughts are energy. And so when we have those images of something negative happening, we actually, there are thought forms they create, begin to create a physical manifestation, the embodiment of our thoughts, because we're an image and likeness of the creator. We are creators through our consciousness. You know, Rav Nachman, you know, the rest of it, right? he said, I love this quote from his book. He said, a man that can alter an outcome of reality with his imagination is greater than the man that can predict a possible outcome. Wow, I, I, I never read this. Uh, it's in uh, Anatomy, Anatomy of the Soul. Oh, yeah, I, I have it here, but I don't remember reading it. Would you repeat again? It's very good. It's uh, Rabbi Nachman. Nachman of Breslov. Yeah. He said that a person that can alter an outcome of reality with their imagination is greater than the person that can predict a possible outcome. That's why, it's partially why I created Realized Medicine, because I, it's, it's more effective. There are a lot of practitioners that have claimed to have abilities. They, they pride themselves on, on thinking on the fact that, that they could possibly predict someone's future. And so that's how, that's how they hook you on their abilities or their, or their services. But the truth is, it's more effective to teach another human being and how to be effective in co-creating their reality through their intention, their imagination, and their physical will. Because if I'm unresolved and I do have the ability to see outcome or to see your potential or the potential of, that you planned for yourself from, from the texture of your soul, I infuse my predictions with my 
conspiracies and my lack of understanding of conscious reality. So it's more important for me to engage you in being self-sufficient and show you how to co-create reality. There's no question, but it's it's so profound what Mahmoud Breslov said, because when he said it's greater than a person's ability to predict the possible outcome, because mm -hmm. there are infinite possibilities. Mm -hmm. You don't know what will happen, but, but when you use your imagination, you can manifest what you imagine. Goes back to having one God, right? Yes. It goes right back to having I am your God. There's nothing else. So if that's it, if there's nothing else, then I accept that I don't need to be your God to tell you what your outcome is going to be. I extract myself out of that equation and rather show you and prove to you that your acceptance of that understanding that there's only one flow and one source of all flow, that acceptance is going to give you the ability to direct your intention into co-creating a reality you truly desire instead of living in one at the mercy of reality and constant emotional, intellectual obstacles that are uh, based on some statistic. I am your God. That's it. Uh, let's before we move uh, before we move to the second commandment. I'm thinking that maybe uh, like with with all the uh, six pillars of well-being, where I of, always offer when I address some issue like uh, judgment uh, or anger or uh, expectations or greed, I always give an assignment, uh, a specific tool how to deal with it. Issues. Maybe you and I can come up with a little assignment. Maybe you, maybe me, maybe both of us. A little assignment: how to deal with in everyday life with not creating other gods and following one. Well, you you know my favorite one. I think that you liked the bubbles, right? The bubbles of thought. Oh no no no! My my favorite is the your. Uh, idea of of the generator. Well, you know, in the 1990s, VH1 came up with this wonderful idea. Whoever came up with it, VH1 was a music channel, and they had something called pop-up video. They had these bubbles that would come up. You think of something, a bubble would come up, and it would embody your thought. Oh. That, that's what happens to us, basically. So we redirect the energy that enters our souls into all of these bubbles of thought, like children blowing soap bubbles. We don't realize that that redirected energy creates all these bubbles and detracts the energy that we're supposed to receive into our souls to envelop our intellect and make us more effective in co-creating what we want it redirects that energy into those bubbles. So your example about worrying about your, your daughter, right? The moment some nonsense comes up about uh, England, you see the bubble, you see England inside the bubble and what you think is going to happen. And you take a needle in your mind's eye and pop the bubble and see it like a soap bubble burst open. 
It's, I mean, it's, it's worked for me and anyone I've ever given it to. It's so, it's just practical. I love it. I love it. I've been doing this uh, bubble exercise for, for many years, too. Yeah, it's a very good one. Very good one. About any future talk, about conspiracy, about your outcome. I'm going to be late to the airport. There's going to be traffic. This is not going to work out. I'm going to go to California and be an actor. I'll see how it works out. You're not going to see anything. You make it work out or you don't. It doesn't happen on its own. So once you accept that there is a, a, a one source of all life, you accept it. That acceptance gives you, it's a very interesting thing I learned from a, another book called Bashar, The Blueprint for Change. If you don't accept where you are, then whatever is intended for you can't find you. So how does that happen? The acceptance of one God aligns you to the flow, and then you're able to be an effective co-creator of what you want, not what you don't want. So the bubbles of what you don't want you can pop and get back to the flow. So, so there is. So there is. You know, my teacher of blessed memory, Colette, uh, when she was 94 years old, and we, her students and I were sitting in the room, and at some point she said, you know, in, in 11 months, um, in, in a year, it will be my time to go, meaning to die. And we all, you know, she was at advanced age. We felt she earned it and nobody objected. And we said, um, and, and she said, in a year. And indeed, she died in 11 months. And one of us said, when you go, how do you want to be regarded as, as who? And she said, as a teacher. And we said, teacher of what? And she said, of truth, teacher of truth. And we said, and what is truth? She said, is, but now, <laughs> that's all. All the tools that she taught us, all the thousands and thousands of exercises were for one purpose only, to help us and our students to come to the isness of the moment, to the present moment. Well, I personally still did not succeed 100% because I'm still making up stories. <laughs> Technologically, uh, as you know, because you're a teacher of morphology, the study of facial features, that um, my temperament has, in the past, is, can cause me to go into this human intellectual abyss of insanity. I can do it to myself instantly. And the way I prevent it is using these tools. And what, when I started discovering the commandments as a healing tool, uh, it really changed everything because I realized that not only it was a confirmation that the information came directly from the source, because who else would write that? A person? No. People write psychology and psychiatry. Understand? It doesn't give you a tool on how to resolve. It perpetuates constantly pouring from one glass to another the same content. It doesn't, it doesn't give you resolve. This gives you resolve. So when I started to discover the intricate details of, of the commandments, with my abilities and understanding of how reality works, I, I thought, oh my God, imagine you taught this to people for everyday tools. What, what is worry? You know, one, one of the greatest sages of our time, 
the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, worries for fools. What, 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 where's the worry? About what? You don't know what's going to be a minute from now. Why would you think about something that doesn't exist? So if you accept that there's a flow, then you can direct the flow and choose what you want and choose what you want to form. That's acceptance of the flow. That's acceptance of that there's only one source. Listen, it's amazing. It's now <laughs> 45 minutes of our meeting uh, gone. We have only 15 more minutes. Let's start. I, I didn't know, had no idea whether we'll be able, would be able to cover all 10 commandments or only one. So let's start with the second one. Unless something pops into your mind, you can, you can uh, chip in then. As a second commandment, the second commandment uh, is, again, uh, it's very short. Um, you will have no graven images. Uh, but, of course, as it's written up in the Torah, not on the tablets, you will not make graven images of any likeness, not in the air, not in the water, for I am a jealous God. So don't make up any graven images. So we'll, of course, again, we'll talk about the broader meaning of what graven image is. And uh, we probably, because it took us 45 minutes to talk about the first commandment, we'll probably not be able to cover the second commandment even uh, to the end, but we'll start and, and hopefully we'll continue then. But what comes to my mind is a, a long time ago, I, I used to live in Rockland County, um, and um, I, I gave a lecture one time. Uh, on mind-body integrative therapy that I was practicing at the Shakta Center for Complementary Medicine. And, and the woman walked over at the end of the lecture, and I recognized her face. She was, was in that area, a quite unknown physician uh, who wrote a number of articles that I read, um, and, and I really respected her. And she, I was kind of a little fluttered that she came to ask me questions. And she said, you know, Dr. Resnick, I, I, I have to tell you, I, I'm, I'm suffering. I have a problem. I suffer from insomnia. Um, and I said, well, what happened? Uh, when did it start? She said, you know, I, oh, oh, one thing I forgot to tell you. And this woman um, was an observant uh, religious woman, Jewish religious woman. In fact, she was from the area where I pr uh, practiced and lived in uh, Aramont, um, New York, upstate New York. It was two miles away from Muncie, a huge uh, Jewish um, community. And so she was an observant Orthodox religious Jewish woman. And so she tells me that she's not sleeping. And I said, what's happening? And she said, you know, I, I am so worried about my patients. And I uh, sometimes do something, no matter what I do, a person is not doing well, and then I stay up all night. Did I do the right thing? Maybe, maybe I'm killing this person. Ta -ta 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 -ta. And I said to her, I know exactly what your problem is. Make an appointment. Call the center. You're suffering from EPA syndrome. She indeed made an appointment, and she came a couple of weeks later. And as a good scholar, she comes and says to me, you know, I went to DSM at that time, it was DSM-3, 
Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders. And she said, I could not find EPA syndrome. What is EPA syndrome? I said, well, I coined this term. It's called extreme professional arrogance. And she said, how, how can it be? What do you mean arrogant? I feel bad about myself. I, maybe I did something wrong. And you say, you call me arrogant. I said, yes, because you made yourself into God. You made yourself, you made a graven image and put it on a pedestal and you worship that, uh, that image. You sacrifice your life on the altar of that image. Doctor, I don't want to say her last name, doctor, mm, who is a savior. That's, that's a graven image. And that's why you're, you're not sleeping because your job is not to fix people, then you would be another God. Your job is, and when, she, when, she, when, she, when I said that, she said, what do you mean? I'm a doctor. My job is to save people's lives. I said, no. Your job is to share with your knowledge to the best of your ability. The outcome is not in your, in your hands. The moment you say the outcome is in your hands, you made yourself into an idol. That's an introduction to uh, discussion of the second commandment. You want to say something, Vlad? Sure. Even though this on your incident, desiring an outcome for another human being is making yourself God. Consuming yourself by someone else's possibility takes you out of alignment. Because now I'm not providing you with vital information how to help yourself. I want something for you that you may not want for yourself. You're not willing to make the effort. Now I'm consumed by the possibility of your outcome. I'm not no longer present for the flow. I'm now with you. And you're not an unlimited source of energy. You can't give me anything. You're sick and suffering yourself. So that makes me not only God, it, it, it says that thou shalt not have any God before me, right? So this is, isn't that the second commandment? Yes. So then... Uh, I'm sorry. No. Uh, first commandment, you will have no God before me. The second one is you will not make graven images. Right. You so then, make idols. So if I make you an obsession of mine, which consumes my mind and my heart, you're an actual thing. You're an actual entity then it can, you start to consume my mind with your outcome. But I don't provide you. I can't provide you with an outcome. I can suggest the steps you can take to alter your outcomes or to help yourself have a different outcome. The moment I assume that role, I become God and I make you my idol because now I'm consumed by wanting to help you. So if I have a conflict, moral, if I have a conflict with my mother, which, I, which never happens, and I'm thinking about her and what I'm going to say to her and how I'm going to respond to her and what I'm going to do when we, the next time we meet, I'm not present. She's a graven image. She's consuming me my heart and my soul and my energy and my understanding, I'm 
constantly discerning the possibility of what could be or should be or might be. I'm not present. She's become a graven image. That, that can make someone sick. And you are sacrificing your human life on the altar of that idol. Remember, the commandments came 3,382 years ago when the time when all the uh, all the countries all the regions around were do practicing human sacrifice they sacrificed virgins and, and infants on the altar of, of their idols whether it was a sarta or baal so it was before anything prohibition of human sacrifice and so here when we in our everyday life make somebody into an idol whether it's whether it's uh, somebody who is sick or uh, making someone uh, standing day and night in line to to watch uh, some some show, and that becomes most important thing in your life. That's already idolatry. You sacrifice your human life. Blood. Um, it's we have only five minutes left. Is there any exercise you want to offer, and, and I have an, an exercise to offer to deal, and we can continue in our next uh, talk, um, talk covering the second commandment and other commandments, but do you have an exercise to offer? I think the best one I've ever, uh, I call it, you know, you, you said you coined the term, I call, I call these Vladaisms. How? how? Vladaisms. <laughs> My name, Vladaism. So, if I'm consumed by another person, many people have conflicts with their children or their wives or whoever at work, and they consume themselves so much by the conflict, they actually fuel and perpetuate the conflict which then is a violation of the second commandments because they make them a graven image. Well, to resolve it, I remind myself that if it's not in front of me, it doesn't exist. And the fact is that I can choose the outcome I want from whatever it is that I'm pursuing instead of wondering at how it's going to happen and who's going to say what. So I can conserve my energy and literally in the moment say to myself, I choose the outcome of peace with my mother. And I'm not going to sit and contemplate what she's going to say because I have no idea or control of what she's going to say. So everything I'm thinking is made up. It has nothing to do with reality. Thank you. If it's not in front of me, it doesn't exist. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I have an exercise. Unfortunately, I will not be able to do it with you today, but we'll, we'll have another um, show or another meeting with Vlad, and I will show, share with you an exercise that I give precisely to deal with graven images. Uh, it's an exercise called um, going into a museum of your personal history. And so dealing with the graven images that we create as we go through our life. But we'll talk about it next time, hopefully, but not the following week. The following week, as I said, I will have an open floor. So you are welcome again to prepare your, your questions. 
um, to call in next week. I will be talking. Uh, I will not be talking. I will be waiting for your calls and I will be happy to answer your questions to guide you through experiences. If you really are having difficult, difficult time calling in, uh, if you are super shy, please send me uh, an email. You have my email, drpeterresnik uh, at gmail.com with your questions that you want me to discuss. But it's so much better if you call in and we deal with it live. Anyway, uh, our time is coming to an end. Uh, I want to thank you, Vlad, for uh, being part of this uh, dialogue and hopefully we'll continue it. And I hope very much that uh, you, my dear, uh, our dear listeners, um, uh, send us feedback about today's dialogue and we'll continue it uh, sometime in the future, maybe in a couple of weeks. Uh, once again, thank you for being with us today. Uh, I'm looking forward to our next meeting and peace to all who want to live in peace. <laughs>